Well, good morning, church family. Windsor Road Christian Church. Our mission is about being a life-changing community, passionately pursuing Christ. That's it. That's our, that's our aim. That's the goal. That's our hole-in-one. Life-changing community, passionately pursuing Christ. And we want to, uh, want to love God more than anybody else with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And then uh, we just want to demonstrate that by loving people. Loving God and loving people. That's the only two rules in this place. Huh? That's pretty simple, isn't it? Love God, love people. And um, uh, I, want, I want to share with you a great little piece that uh, it was an email that uh, our children's ministry staff received this week from a family who used to attend here. Uh, they've since moved. They're out of state. And uh, uh, we received this email. This is just great. A um, young man uh, named Willem, who uh, is uh, in a new school, uh, had an assignment on uh, Martin Luther King Day, and uh, Dr. King had a dream. What are your dreams? And the assignment uh, then was to fill it out, and this young man says, my dream is that God will soften the hearts of people who don't know you, and that they will come to a place in their life where they need your help. Now, that is a great dream. Now, this is what's even cooler about that. Huh? More cool? Cooler? Whatever. Um, <laughs> Mom wrote a note underneath this when they emailed it to us to kind of give us context. And here's what Mom had to say. Mom said, the assignment was to write down their dreams and read it to the class. Read it to the class. Mind you, he's currently attending a public school, and uh, Willem came home and said, I, I'm, I'm just not comfortable with that they don't talk about Jesus. So Willem's going to change that. <laughs> Isn't that great? Huh? And, uh, and then mom wrote, and now he's been able to be a, a light to shine on him. Right? Now, now look at the next page on this. This is on the back of that. So there it is. There's Willem, and he's just crying out, to God, you know, everlasting, right? Everlasting, and um, and then uh, and then Mom wrote, uh, Mom, then Mom wrote to, to to Lynn and Teresa, Lynn Peters and Teresa King are our uh, children's ministry. Uh, Lynn is our children's minister. Teresa directs our, our early childhood here, and and uh, Mom wrote, uh, thank you, and and I think she's not just thanking them; she's thanking the church family, her church community here. Thank you for being an integral part in Willem being able to shine for him. Thank you, and may God bless you all. Now, that's a good word, huh? Praise God. I mean, that is a, that's a good word. And it, I, I think what's encouraging about that is when, you're, when you are in ministry, as you know, you don't, always, you don't always see the fruit of your labor, right? And so God has graced us just this past week from... Uh, uh, to let us see a little bit of the fruit of, of the passionate pursuit. What a dream. What a vision. What a hope. And, and particularly when uh, we set that dream in contrast to another dream that I saw this week. Uh, the message was on the side of this bus. There's probably no God now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Yeah. Wow. 
I mean, that is in your face. Huh? That is in your face. But that's a dream. That's someone's dream. That's a vision. That's a, that's a hope. A life is built on that. Two dreams, two visions, two hopes. Uh, one vision says, this life is all there is. This is it. So when you're done with this life and they bury you or cremate you, you're done. You're finished. You just, you're extinguished. Nothingness. All right? That's one vision. And then you build your life on that. And you build your business on that. And you build your marriage on that. And you parent on that. And you be a neighbor on that. Okay? And then there's another vision that says there is this life. And there's another life after this life. And the other life that exists after this life is more real than this life. In fact, this life is like a shadow compared to the life that is next. Now, this life is pretty real, mind you. I mean, it's pretty real. But it's a shadow compared to the life that is to come. And the decisions that you make in this life affect the trajectory of your life in the next life. Okay? And you build your marriage on that. You build your life on that. You parent on that. Two competing rival visions. What's yours? See, see, that's, that's really the question in the book of Revelation. That's really what Revelation is, is about. It really is. So often we, we get hung up in the, in, in, in the question about Revelation. When's Jesus going to come again? What's going to happen? When's Jesus going to come again? Come on. What chart? What graph? When's he going to come? You know what? The answer to that question is not telling. <laughs> not telling. Okay? So just not telling. Just be ready. Just get ready, like our firefighters are ready. The boots are at the door of the engine. Just get ready. Well, what, what, what does that look like? Oh, you see, that's why we have what we have in Revelation 1 through 3, because we have seven churches. See, the book of Revelation was originally written to these seven churches in western Turkey. The apostle John, he's in exile because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while he's in exile, he receives this prophecy, this, this revelation, the rev which started with the Father, given to the Son, to the angel, to John, to the churches. And, and we're seeing in Revelation Chapters 1 through 3, we're seeing the messages to these churches are very relevant. They're real churches in real cities that existed 1,900 years ago, and the message is relevant to them, and the lessons that we extract from those messages are very real to us now. And so this morning, we're gonna, we are going to turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 29. We have heard the message to the, to the church at Ephesus. 
We've heard the message to the church at Smyrna. Last week we uh, listened to the church at Pergamum. And this week, in Revelation 2, 18 to 29, page 868 of your church Bibles, we're going to pay attention we're going to listen to Jesus' message to the church at Thyatira. Thyatira. Let's say that on three. One, two, three. Thyatira. One more time. One, two, three. Thyatira. The church at Thyatira. And, and as we're listening to this, I want you to pay attention to those two visions. I want you to see if you can't pick them out. That one is a vision of holiness. One is a vision of holiness. Another is a vision of, and here's a new word, hearliness. <laughs> Hearliness, you know, here and now, liness. Okay, one's a vision of holiness; the other's a vision of hearliness. One, one is a vision of Jesus, and another is a vision of Jezebel. Oh, Jezebel, Whew, that's not good. We don't have any children in our church named Jezebel. Okay, there's a reason for that. And if anybody was going to name their child Jezebel, they're not going to after today. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) To the angel of the church at Thyatira, write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her, of her immorality, But she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. That word means disciples or followers. I will strike her followers dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now, now, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes... And does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 2, 18 to 29. This is the word of God. Now this city, Thyatira, 
I, when you compare it to the city that I showed you last week, I mean, Pergamum, I mean, remember, well, uh, remember, remember, remember the postal route. We've been to Ephesus. You go up to Smyrna. They're harbor towns, beautiful. Then there's Pergamum. Laura, let's see that next slide at Pergamum. Remember that last week I showed you? Beautiful thousand-foot vista. What a breathtaking view. I mean, I could put a parsonage on top of that hill. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible sight. And to be able to be perched up there, we'll call it the preacher's parsonage at Pergamum, huh? How about that? And it's just beautiful, 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 breathtaking sight. And, and, and the, the, the city, the ancient city that used to, I mean, if that's the way it looks now, think of how it looked 1,900 years ago when it was brand new. It was just stunning, Pergamum. And then we go to Thyatira. <laughs> this what? What's that? Who wants to live there? Uh, well, not too many people did, to tell you the truth. Thyatira, you kind of plopped in the middle of a plain. It was a frontier town. And as a result, it uh, traded sides with competing empires. And so there wasn't much room for development. I mean, who wants to develop a piece of property? Who wants to build a business where next week another empire could come and take it all away? I mean, it just kind of stunted economic growth. Until the Roman Empire came and established what was called the Pax Romana. Incidentally, uh, Thyatira kind of is like, if you go downtown Champaign and there's Westside Park, imagine there not being like swings and a gazebo and all that. Imagine there being like an archaeological ruins sort of place that used to be what Champaign was 2,000 years ago. I mean, that's what is there now. Thyatira is no longer in existence. I mean, it's not a continuous city like Smyrna was. Another place is kind of cropped up and kind of built around it. And you go there, and there's this park, which is like an archaeological park. And you can go inside the park, and you can see some of the uh, relics that used to exist in the ancient world. And uh, there's, you know, columns, and uh, there's just buildings. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, but it's small. It's little, and there's a little bit of Greek there. It's Greek to me. And then you can see different uh, other uh, ruins, and, and then let's uh, camp right here on this coin. This is an image of a coin that was found in uh, Thyatira. When the Roman Empire came, when the Roman Empire came, uh, Thyatira began to thrive because the empire allowed them to be stable, and it allowed uh, uh, commercial businesses to thrive. There was a military garrison positioned outside of Thyatira. Think uh, Rantoul and uh, the former Chanute Air Force Base. Think uh, Killeen, Texas and Fort Hood. All right? So you've got this military garrison that's kind of supplied by this community, by this town. And, um, uh, and when you went to Thyatira 1,900 years ago and you walked down the street and you ran into a Roman centurion and you said to that Roman centurion, who is the son of God? That centurion would look at you like, is this a trick question? Are you a stranger? What do you mean? Who is the son of God? And the Roman centurion, without blinking, would say, the son of God is Domitian. Because, because see, the son of God is a title that was conferred upon the emperor of Rome. And Domitian was the emperor at the time John received the revelation. Plus, Thyatira also kind of inherited some Greek mythology, and Apollo was the 
son of Zeus, the king of the gods. He was also the god of war. And so Apollo was also titled the son of God. And so what you have here is you've got the emperor, the son of God, shaking hands with the Greek son of God. You get it? See? And then you have Jesus saying, no, I'm the son of God. <laughs> I'm, I'm the son. And it's the only time that the, ter- the term son of God is used in the book of Revelation. So what I'm saying is that these images are very location specific. I am the son of God. And, and notice here too, it says, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Whose feet are, why? Because that's an image of stability. That's an image of steadiness. It's not going anywhere. That's feet that's been refined. They're not going to crack. They're, they're tempered. They're not going anywhere. You see, Jesus is saying, A, I'm the son of God, and B, the Roman Empire is not the source of security in this town. I'm the source of security. And, and, and that was a very important image to project because Thyatira began to thrive commercially. You see, that garrison had to be supplied, had to be supplied with food, with clothing, with goods. And so you've got uh, bakers, you've got potters, you've got uh, um, uh, leather makers, tanners, you've got uh, dealers in wool. Uh, Lydia, in Acts chapter 16, whom Paul converted in the city of Philippi, she was a dealer in purple linen. So she was a high-end seller of clothing. And Philippi was, incidentally, another Roman colony where retired military professionals would, who had more money, that's why she went there. You see what I'm saying? So all of this is traced back. And there's a plant called the madder plant, M-A-D-D-E-R, the madder plant. And, and Lydia would have that ground into dye, and it would be used for high-end clothing. So there was this thriving commercial activity that was going on, and each of these businesses, whether it's pottery or bread baking or or, uh, clothing, they were run by either an association or a union or a guild, a trade guild. And that was the context. And even though it was a commercial city, it, it really wasn't a very politically significant city. In fact... It was the least of all of the seven cities in Asia. You say, so why are you telling me all this? Because Jesus says, I have eyes who are like blazing fire. See, I see what's going on. Uh, Scholars make it a point to communicate that, here it is, the longest letter was sent to the least remarkable least known, and least important city. Jesus says, I know what's going on in your life. Some of you are here today, and you, you, think, you don't think God's paying attention to your life. You know what? You don't know God. He is paying attention to your life. You matter to him. He sees what's going on. With penetrating insight, he sees. He sees what's happening in your life. He sees what's happening at work. You think you're in, stuck up in a little corner, and nobody notices you, but you know what? Jesus sees he never misses. He never misses. And, and he tells this church, I'm not missing anything here. I, you know, I know your deeds. And he gives four characteristics, which, wow. Uh, you know, to describe a church with these four, that's a good compliment from the Lord. Faith, excuse me, love, faith, service, and, perse- and perseverance. Love, faith, ministry, and perseverance. You all are love. What, what, 
you know what? That could describe this church. There's a lot of love here. There's a lot of trust here. There's a lot of faith here. There's a lot of ministry and service here. That's why, that's why we're having the Dominican Republic fundraiser for the big game night tonight because, because there's a lot of ministry going on and that's why we go to Windsor Road Wednesdays at Salt and Light because there's a lot of ministry going on. They're serving. Faith is, and not only is there love and faith and, 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 and ministry and enduring, but you're growing in that. What Jesus says to Thyatira, he could not say to Ephesus, could he? Because at Ephesus, their, their love was waning. They, they were not maintaining the love they had at first. Thyatira, they're growing. They're growing. Things are improving. They're not stalled. 14 months ago, we took a survey as a church called Reveal. I talked to you about it last summer. And uh, if there's 400 people in here, I found out from the reveal survey that 22% of you, that would be 88 of you in this room, would stand up and say, I'm stalled. I'm not growing. I, I'm, I'm, things are declining. And then, then I found out that 80% of the 88 of you that stood, all right, you know why you said you were stalled? And you were very honest, and I appreciate that. You said, because I have not made spiritual growth a priority. I've not made it a priority. Something else is competing for that. Something else is cutting in line for that. I've, there's a competing vision. And, and, and my response then and my response now is, I can't read your Bible for you. I, I can't move your mouth in prayer for you. I can't show up at salt and light for you. Or what other, uh, what, I, can't go, I can't help in the nursery here for you. You know, yes, we're in this together as a community, but, you know, but it's got to be a community, see? Well, what do you think in your life? Huh? Are you moving forward? Are you stalled? Are you falling back? What's going on? See, Jesus sees that. He sees that. He, it, he, he's concerned about that. And he's concerned about whatever is competing. And I don't know what's competing in your life, but I know what was competing in their lives. That's why Jesus says in verse 20, nevertheless. Whenever Christ says nevertheless, what's going to come afterwards isn't really good. <laughs> well, it's good, but it may hurt. <laughs> okay, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. What is all of that about? Well, well, the word, you got to know your Old Testament, don't you? See, Jezebel, Jezebel was a, uh, she was a queen, She's the queen of probably the most wicked king in all of Israel, a, a, weak, a weak, spineless fraction of a man named Ahab. And, and, and um, her name means pure, but she wasn't. Her father had been a priest who succeeded to the throne by murdering his predecessor. She persuaded Ahab to build a pagan temple in Samaria so she could conduct idol worship and uh, eating food sacrificed to those idols and sexual immorality. And she supported 850 prophets of Baal and tried to kill off as many prophets of Yahweh. You can read about her in 1 Kings 16 to 1 Kings 25-ish, okay? In fact, here's the summary verse. 1 Kings 21-25. There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Here it is urged on by Jezebel, his wife, okay? Jesus says, 
the equivalent, the Old Testament equivalent that's going on here in your church, in your church. There's this, there's this, there's this female leader who's really wreaking havoc and urging compromise. And the code name is Jezebel. Just as last week the code name for the male leader who was wreaking havoc was Balaam, this is a code name Jezebel. And she's encouraging idol worship and sexual immorality because you see those trade guilds that I told you about? They had meetings. And in those business meetings, you had to worship the pagan deity, the patron deity over those guilds. And you also had to get involved in sexual immorality. And if you did not, it was insulting to the guild and you needed to be in the guild if you wanted work, see? And that was a problem for Christians. And so there was someone in the church saying, it's okay, don't worry about it. As long as you don't mean it, it's okay to do that. And Jesus says, no, it's not okay. You, you are not called to hearliness. You are called to holiness. And I just wonder, and you know, I, I, you know you, where you work, they may not make you go to a temple. And they may not make you eat food, sacrifice to idols, and they may not make you at work commit sexual immorality. So you say, what does that have to do with me? Listen, Jezebel, her spirit lives today. And, and, and here's, here's what I mean by that. See, see, the behaviors that Jesus is concerned about in these verses come from a core belief system because your beliefs drive your behaviors and the core, see the core belief system that is competing against Christ. Well, here's Christ's core belief system. It's verse 25. Only hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on to what you have. And Jezebel's problem is that she says, no, what you have isn't enough. You need more. You need Jesus and something else. That's what you need. What, what Jesus has given you is not, not going to do. You need someone else's approval. You need someone else's validation, someone else's accreditation. That's what you need. And you know what? That goes on today, There's a, that, that, which is another competing vision. You know, Jezebel says, look, no, you need what I tell you you need. You, you, you need something else. And it happens. And we're going you know, to get a little taste of that today. It'd be in Super Bowl Sunday. He said, oh, it's just a game. It is to some. But to some, it's a little stronger than that. I don't know if you've seen this commercial. That This is what I'm talking about. Can we run that commercial now? Check this out. Listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to 
be gripey about football. I'm coming to the, I'm coming to the event tonight. We're going to show the Super Bowl on the screen. And I just wish the Minnesota Vikings were playing tonight. I wish Francis Tarkenton would come out of retirement and finish the job. Four times you go to the Super Bowl and you can't bring home a trophy. What is up with that, man? I mean, you say, that was in the Carter administration. Get over it, Bolding House. I'm, I can't. I can't get over that. What, 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 are you, what, what were they trying to do? Imitate the Buffalo Bills or what? I just don't get it. So yeah, you know, but, but here's the deal. I enjoy football, but to say that, so this is my religion. Wow. See, there's the spirit of, say it's just a commercial. What? How subtle. No, it's not subtle. There's a message there. There's a message there. There's, there Jezebel's there. Jezebel. And I just wonder, is, is there a Jezebel in your life? Is there someone or something that wants you more? That, is there someone in your life that wants you to have more than what Jesus has already given you? See, that's Jezebel's problem. Because, because to some, the game is their religion. To others, stuff is their religion. Still others, tenure is their religion. Still others, money is their religion. And still others, beauty is their religion. Oh, yeah. This week I read a startling article from the New York Times called The Measure of a Woman. Um, it's written by Abby Ellen. And you just got to listen to this. Abby tells about visiting her grandmother in Florida while she was growing up in the summertime, Abby writes, I just love time with Grandma. I love, I love time with her. We shopped at the mall together. We swam in the condo pool. We saw a movie every week. Each morning, Grandma just smothered me with kisses. And each afternoon, we weighed ourselves. Girls have to be thin and beautiful, Grandma said, always linking the two adjectives together. My grandma worried that one day I'd blow up like an elephant. I mean, this had to be the worst possible fate. It didn't matter that grandma was a college graduate, a teacher of intellectually gifted students. For her, beauty was paramount, and fat was decidedly not beautiful. When puberty hit, I gained 20 pounds in less than a year, and when my grandmother came to Boston for a visit, she looked wonderful. Her nails, newly manicured, her clothes freshly pressed, and when she saw me, she could barely look my way. At dinner, I reached for a second slice of bread. My grandmother slapped my hand away. You don't need another piece of bread. How can you let yourself go like this? You've got such a gorgeous face. Don't you want boys to like you? And then came the warning. You need to lose 10 pounds or else you can't come to Florida this year. And when I didn't lose the weight, I didn't go to Florida. I spent the next six summers at various fat camps trying to make grandma happy. And when I was heavy, I wouldn't visit her. And when I was thin, she'd lavish praise on me like I was royalty. Hello, skinny, she'd beam. And this both pleased and annoyed me. I desperately wanted her approval, and yet I resented her for making weight an issue. I was, I was a kid, and I wasn't that big. But she was just as fixated on her own appearance. She was stunning, meticulously groomed, vigilant about what she ate. And she took that obsession with her all the way to her deathbed. Even in the last months of her life, she had us weigh her all the time. And on those mornings, the nurse would feed her three pills and then help her on the scale. 
and there was silence until the nurse announced a made-up number that was sure to please Grandma. But one day, we got a new nurse. <laughs> who didn't know how we did things. And then the new nurse laughed. Weigh yourself. You're as skinny as a rail. Why do you want to weigh yourself? Because I want to know what I weigh. Grandma said, slurring her words. Her left side was numb, droopy. The nurse looked at me. I said to her, yep, we do it every day. So the nurse shrugged her shoulders and untucked Grandma's blankets and raised the hospital bed and set down the scale, and Grandma swung her good foot onto it while the nurse supported her. Well, Grandma gurgled. Well, let's see here. The nurse pretended to read the numbers. Um, it's, it's about 109, she told my 80 pound grandmother. What? Grandma said, alarmed. Yesterday it was 105. I jumped off the sofa, headed straight to the scale. No, 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 Grandma. It's, it's, it, no, it's, 10, it's 105 right on the nose, just like yesterday. The numbers are the numbers just a little blurry, Grandma. Are you sure? All I do is lie here and eat. I don't want to be fat when I get out of here. It's 105, Grandma. And suddenly I realized what was happening. The scale was grandma's link to the world. It was her life. She actually thought she was going to leave. But I looked at her lying there, paralyzed and weak and helpless. Her breathing sputtered. Her bones stuck out like pegs. And I patted her stomach. And when I did, I was rubbing loose flesh. And grandma said, I just don't want to get fat. And Abby said, at that moment, I forgave her. Hold on to what you have. Is there a Jezebel in your life who is deceiving you into thinking that what you have been given in Christ just isn't enough? If you buy into her deception and she's not going to change, she's not going to change. That's why Jesus says, she, I've given her time to repent, but she's unwilling. So she's not going to change. And you buy into her deception, you're going to be destroyed. Jesus says, what I've given you is enough. It's enough. Because this life is not all there is. There's a life coming, and when that life meets up with this life and overwhelms this life, I tell you, you will be given authority. The authority that the Father gave me, I intend to share with you. You will have authority over the nations, and you, with me, will rule them with an iron scepter. Literally, you will shepherd them with an iron-tipped rod. The shepherd would have a rod, and that iron tip would be used against predators. And you're going to dash the Jezebels to pieces like pottery. Jezebel's going to fracture herself into pieces of pottery. It's going to happen. That's what you have. What else do you need then? And you're going to get the you're going to get the morning star. The morning star was Venus. And Venus was stitched into the banners of the Roman legions because Venus was 
the symbol for invincibility. See? So you have invincibility. You can, what else do you need? So you just hold on to that. You hold on to that. Are you? Which vision? Jezebel or Jesus? Hearliness or holiness? What's it going to be? What's it going to be? I like what John Miller said. I don't know who he is, but I like what he said. (laughs) You don't have anything to prove to us or the world. The work is finished at Calvary. And that work has unlimited meaning and value. Keep your focus there. Okay? Okay. I'm going to pray. And we're just going to sing about that. You know, the, the, the soap that you've been given here is not for you to clean yourself with. See, this is, you, see, you got some Jezebel on you. Only Jesus can scour her away. So that's what I want you to remember with this. And we're going to sing about him. What is your dream? Here's the question. Not just what is your dream, but is your dream durable? Hmm. Jezebel? No. Jesus? Yes. Amen.